0: Can we talk something else? Can, can we talk about something else? Life can at times feel long Like at 6am on a Tuesday Hungover, waiting for a bus in the rain to take you to a factory job But then there are moments where we realize how fleeting, how temporary our time is here like when a toddler follows the family dog to the river and falls in, all in the space of three minutes while his mom makes him a quick sandwich. That happened out here in the middle of the Canadian prairies on a little farm. They found him days later after a massive search, underwater, tangled up in a busted beaver dam. Chase. I remember watching news footage of the hearse carrying him away from his mom and sister's The mother dropped to her knees. One of the little girls sang out, Bye, Chase. that, that haunts me. It haunts everybody. Around here. That quick. Two years old, just starting to explore your surroundings a bit, and bam. Underwater, cold, 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 can't breathe, panic. Back to blackness. Oh... Where am I going with this? This isn't where I wanted to be. At all. Here. This isn't a story about drowned toddlers. It's a story about choosing when our time is up. No, not suicide this time. It's, uh... Well, at least not the type of suicide to escape pain. It's the type that's necessary to pull off a crime that I want to talk about. Have you ever thought to yourself, if this fucking doctor tells me it's cancer, I'm robbing a dozen banks, laundering the cash through casino chips, then bearing the money, sending my most loved one a letter with a treasure map in it, a letter with a message on the envelope that explicitly instructs her not to open it for two years, to hide the letter until that time, then taking three grand of your score and going out on a drug binge where you end up curled under a duvet with a needle hanging out of your dead arm and a room full of liquor bottles and overflowing ashtrays. you thought along those lines, guys, right? <laughs> but seriously, we all have... At some point in time, been low enough to start tapping the shell of a high-stakes caper. Just tap-a-tapping on that rotten egg. Wondering if it indeed is spoiled. Wondering if maybe there's gold laying beneath the peel. The plan of attack has to be flawless. And the greater the risk, the greater, of course, the reward. Surely a plan entailing the loss of one's own life, along with dozens of others, would be spectacular enough to get the job done. Worthy. Of a score that would secure a future for those we leave behind. A nest egg. Gathered up and socked away at the last minute to make up for all of the wasted years. All of the failed ventures to turn a zero into a hero. At least in the eyes of those we care to see us as such. The rest, they're just collateral damage. To a spiraling psychopath. Welcome to Dark Topic, I'm your host, Jack Gluta. This is episode 011, A downward Spiral. Thomas Gene Doty has a major fucking problem on his hands. For one, fresh off of turning 34 years old, he still somehow looks like somebody's little brother. He doesn't feel young, he feels... ancient. Like the baby face some say he's been blessed with is in fact God's way of mocking him. He can't seem to grow up. Can't find the combination to unlock a sense of having reached manhood. And he's not too jazzed about the coming march into his mid-thirties as a bankrupted nobody with a future bleaker than it's ever been on account of a recent arrest for armed robbery. A little trumped-up charge that we'll explore the reason for in a moment, but, for now... It is important to know that beneath the Ah shucks Andy griffith demeanor of this man, there is a storm brewing, a dam breaching. No, that's not quite right. The old clichés don't match what's really going on inside fellows like Tom Doty. Before they decide to do the unthinkable. The truly unthinkable. The things that have never been done before because they're just too heinous, too ridiculous, actually, to be on the radar of even the most disturbed types. Thomas G. Doty, Dottie Doty, is spiraling, living up to his surname by behaving a little cuckoo, as of late, becoming unhinged as the failures pile up. The year is 1962, and Doty is a man without his shit together, becoming defined, really, by how loose his shit is, in an era where men a decade his junior often have the whole damn thing figured out by now, are solid, regular, The only thing Dodie has going for him is that he's managed to marry a loving woman, has a daughter by her that he adores, but is having trouble looking at as of late with any optimism for her love of him to continue to blossom. She's five years old now, is beginning to ask just what exactly daddy does for a living, is comparing notes with her kindergarten playmates, no doubt. And it may just be his imagination, but the little girl is beginning to look at him funny. That way you look at someone who has just exposed themselves as a cheat, a bald-faced liar. And now the respect you once had for that person, any admiration, escapes through an unconscious yet thoughtful frown. He's sick of it, sick of coming home empty, and with his tail between his legs. The second-to-last straw had been being forced to resign his decent job at a Kansas City cosmetics firm in March. The only positive to come from that debacle had been that he'd managed to earn the respect, through deception, naturally, of a 32-year-old go-getter with the same bold aspirations as he. Except with the funds to actually pursue them she had. Doty had inspired Miss Fraley to resign as well from the cosmetics firm, in solidarity. And now the two were going into business together. The only problem being that Dodie had no funds himself. So he lies lies in exchange for the small amount of respect he siphons from Mrs. Fraley, having been found out already by everyone else, to be a fraud. The armed robbery I mentioned had been ridiculous, a complete spur-of-the-moment failure, and the final straw. Dodie had been walking down the street, muttering to himself about his lack of funds, no doubt. His inability to come up with his side of the startup cash for this new business opportunity with... Mrs. Geneva Fraley It was at this time that he'd spotted a woman Getting into her vehicle A purse dangling from her shoulder that In Dodie's desperate mind Might as well have been a sack of cash with his name on it The solution Right there in front of him Without much or any thought at all Dodie finds himself pulling his pistol And entering the passenger side of the woman's car Where he first punches her in the side of the head Then waves the pistol snatching the purse and running down the street before even he knows what has happened the woman screams out and an officer looks up bewildered from his usually peaceful patrol to see a well-dressed man fleeing down the street with a purse clutched to his chest like he just cashed in his chips and now is off to have the invisible monkey on his back darted and put back in its cage Doty is arrested less than five minutes after hatching this stinker the charge, as I said earlier is a hefty one He is due in court next month to be sentenced for armed robbery. He has time to get his affairs in order, time to figure out how he can adjust his course in such a significant manner that everything is set right in one fell swoop. He's out of time, and at the moment flying blind, out of fuel, spiraling downward, yanking on the control stick to no avail, and then it hits him. Thomas G. Doty is prone to making poorly laid plans, prone to taking big swings and striking out while falling on his ass. But this particularly dicey egg he has instantly decided to crack will at least reveal its yield when he's incapable of inhaling its putridness or beholding its golden shine. Doty personally detaches that withered old primate from his back and stands up straight. Incredible. The relief that giving up brings. May 22nd. 1962, O'Hare International Airport, Chicago, Illinois. Continental Flight 11 has completed boarding and the Boeing 707's door is closed. 44 passengers and crew begin to settle in for the routine flight to Kansas City, a trip that normally should take about an hour and a half, weather permitting. There are some storms forming over the Mississippi River, so the pilots converse about the possibility of having to divert around these. They already believe they're in for a longer flight than usual. It's likely they will divert north over Iowa, Missouri, then cruise into Kansas City just after 10 p.m. It is the last flight of the day for the crews, so they are likely in good spirits. The passengers, for the most part, are spent from their long day of work in the Windy City. Their own spirits are lifted at the prospect of downing a few on the way home. Ironic that in less than an hour, spirits... Will be all that this flight will hold The stewardess has drinks And a few passengers light cigarettes The scene is reminiscent of a cozy jazz club Warm lighting Classy dress on each and every patron Genuine smiles on the faces of the crew As they ensure each and every passenger is taken care of Pillow, ma'am Another scotch before takeoff sir This is the heyday of flight Back when it still felt like a privilege Like something special "'to be taken from one point to another by air. "'Miss Geneva Fraley, the woman mentioned earlier as Tom Doty's soon-to-be business partner, "'is slightly perplexed. "'Where did Tom go? "'They'd had business in Chicago, "'and he'd seemed not himself through the entirety of it. "'Besides the stewardesses, she is the only woman on this flight. "'It'd be nice to have Tom here for company, "'to make the strange look she's getting go away. "'Mrs. Fraley is quite beautiful.' classically beautiful, a striking blonde with a no-nonsense demeanor, though that doesn't always repel the advances of men three cocktails deep. She has a husband, a child at home, and likely cannot wait to be back to them. If the thought crossed her mind that Tom Doty had been stringing her along, she was now too late to confront that fact. Doty is currently rushing through the airport towards the Continental loading dock, sweating profusely smoking like a late 1920s stockbroker as he rifles through papers in search of his ticket. A briefcase is clutched tight to his chest. Though the doors to the Boeing are now closed, he is allowed entry. This is a violation of policy, but somebody inside has a heart and they open the door, letting Doty scramble aboard at the last minute. Never again will it be possible for a passenger to board a flight in the United States. Once the door has been shut, Doty has been held up filling up paperwork, flight insurance, well, life insurance for just this one return trip to Kansas City. Doty's feeling lucky or unlucky has some inside information maybe. Single flight life insurance is an option that will no longer be after this day. After Tom Doty's attempt to exploit it to the tune of 150 grand, a number that effectively doubled his worth as a corpse, as he had already insured himself back in Kansas City for the same amount. Dead Doty is now worth 2.5 million bucks by today's standards, a humongous legacy to leave behind, as the father who ensured his family would be taken care of should anything unforeseen happen to him. What a man! Mrs. Geneva Fraley is a minor part of a major plan. She has longed for the ride as a means to qualify Doty's purpose for travel. Pawn. It's disturbing to think that when Doty finally stumbles onto the plane, Geneva likely breathes a sigh of relief, though the signal of his last second arrival, an unsettling bam-bam-bam on the side of the plane, will prove to be the death knell for every soul aboard. Continental Flight 11. All right, everybody, Zipix Toothpicks. This is something that I use all the time. So this episode is brought to you by Zipix Nicotine Toothpicks. Zipix brings you a totally satisfying, convenient, and great-tasting way to curb your nicotine cravings. Now you can get your nicotine fix anytime, anywhere, without having to rely on smoking or vaping. Zipix Toothpicks give you an easier, better, and more discreet way to get your fix. They're available in six great, long-lasting flavors, and they have options in two milligrams and three milligrams of nicotine. Zippix are perfect for flights, sporting events, restaurants, podcasting, <laughs> uh, literally anywhere that you smoke or vape, where that's banned. They're also one of the most cost-effective nicotine products on the market. Zippix also offers caffeine and B12 infused toothpicks, if you're not a nicotine user, or if you're trying to get away from your nicotine habit. Zippix have already helped tens of thousands of customers, including myself, to get their nicotine fix without needing to inhale smoke or vape oils. Make your lungs happy and try Zippix, nicotine-infused toothpicks. So ditch the cigarettes, ditch the vape, and get some nicotine-infused toothpicks at zipixtoothpicks.com today. Get 10% off your first order by using the code darktopic at checkout. Your lungs will be glad you did. Must be 21 years of age or older to order. Warning, nicotine is an addictive chemical Zipmore smoke less with Zippix, nicotine toothpicks. Doty rushes to his seat and joins his partner. All is well now. Everything is as it should be. He can finally relax. The plane is devoid of children at least. He spots a young man probably in his early teens amongst the rows of businessmen. That's a shame. Mrs. Fairley and a handful of stewardesses will be the only women. This makes Doty feel a little bit better about what he has to do. The plane soon takes off, and after a little less than an hour in the air, as the aircraft begins to ascend higher for some reason after a bed of turbulence, Thomas Doty, briefcase in his hand, heads to the lavatory at the rear of the plane. Once he locks the door behind him, Doty wastes no time. He removes from his briefcase the package of dynamite that he bought for a quarter a stick at a hardware store in Chicago. It's half a dozen sticks in all, tied together at the wicks, quite the bargain for what they'll yield. Then without ceremony, Doty lights the fuse and drops the makeshift bomb into a garbage bin. Captain John Oganowski has been forced to pull up while detouring north above Iowa to avoid a barrier of storm clouds positioned along the Mississippi River, which had been expected. As the plane climbs, radar men down below are confused to see the green blip that is Flight 11 disappear from their screens. Thomas G. Doty, at this same moment, has evaporated as well. The tail wing of Flight 11 explodes and detaches from the fuselage, sending the plane and its 45 passengers plummeting from an altitude of 36,000 feet. The nose of the plane drops, and seconds later both engines are ripped away by the force of the abrupt descent. The pilots make a heroic effort to guide this doomed bird down and crash land in the Missouri alfalfa fields that are beginning to fill their vision. The landing gear whirs pathetically out, and stewardesses rush around as best they can, one getting sucked out to her death through the gaping hole where the tail end of the Boeing used to be. The pilots secure masks over their faces to help them breathe and see through the fog and smoke, but it's like trying to fly a tin can. The doomed airplane is tossed around as it careens through the clouds at tremendous speeds, though from the ground it appears as an enormous sheet of paper fluttering to the earth while aflame. The explosion alerts farmers and their families out in rural Putnam County that something out of the ordinary has occurred. It will take emergency response crews hours to locate the impact site. So in the beginning, it's just regular old country folk exploring the wreckage that by one good old boy's estimation, quote, looked like a big old busted egg. Farmer Ron Cook hears something in the midnight blaze and follows his ears to a scene straight out of the Twilight Zone. Laying across a row of seats and appearing to be completely unharmed was, as Farmer Ron put it, quote, A Japanese feller. Takahiko Nakano, a 27-year-old businessman who had moments ago been 36,000 feet in the air, maybe enjoying a sake or whatever them Japanese feathers drink, now sits calmly amongst the flaming debris of that flight. Flight 11. He is, by all appearances, completely unharmed. On a row of Continental Airlines seats. In the middle of a farmer's field out in the middle of nowhere. Takahiko stares off into space. Clearly in shock. All around are the bodies of his fellow passengers, not to mention a couple of crew members with masks fused to their skulls. It is obvious that this lone survivor is in a state of shock. It should be treated with kid gloves. The farm folk leave him be until the emergency crews finally arrive. But when Takahiko is apprised of the situation around him, of the enormity, the extreme circumstances under which he has somehow managed to survive, he allegedly dies right there, on the spot, like a Ford pickup 5K past an oil change. This is an account from a farmer, mind you. I love farmers, and I'd hate to insinuate that they all like to weave a long yarn once you crack them open like a big old egg. But conflicting accounts claim that Takahiko succumbed to internal injuries hours after being rescued from the crash site, while being treated in hospital. This is the first terrorist attack involving an airplane in U.S. history though it is not initially obvious. Most believed that the Boeing 707 had come crashing to Earth as a result of the storms it had been attempting to avoid. But after a thorough investigation, which included a reconstruction of the aircraft at a local fairground, a task that involved members of the Putnam County community, regular folk out hauling pieces of metal, an engine that had landed in a field, a wing, out to the fairgrounds by a tractor, chunks of foam from obliterated seats bounced along the small town missouri streets for weeks the wreckage along with passengers have been discovered everywhere for miles around the impact zone a napkin with the continental airline insignia was discovered 150 miles away from the epicenter that poor stewardess who was sucked out of the plane came to rest in a front yard far from where the other 44 on the flight would end up eerie once the pieces start to literally come together It is clear to the FBI agents tasked to this monumental investigation that a bomb of some sort had been responsible. It is deduced to have gone off at the rear of the plane, likely the lavatory, judging by how much smaller the pieces of wreckage got as they pieced things together in that section. Incredible work. Groundbreaking. Much of what was learned from this occurrence is still used at crash sites today. As for Thomas G. Doty and the payoff he'd hoped to secure for his family as a result of this horror. The end result was that he blew it again. His suitcase was recovered, a suitcase with his initials on it, and when the inside of the case was analyzed, dynamite residue was found. The fact that he'd purchased so much life insurance leading up to the catastrophe made the investigation a little easier as well. Doty's wife received a refund at 12 bucks for the flight insurance her husband had purchased, and the policy regarding single-flight life insurance became obsolete. In turn, Doty's legacy became something completely opposite to what he had hoped for. Instead of pride, all that anyone who had known or loved the man would feel is shame when the name Thomas G. Doty arose. Arose, and quickly fell. Much like all things Tom Doty pursued. Because of his insistence to exchange the trust and eventually the lives of others for the rewards he wasn't willing to put in honest work to achieve, every plan Doty Hash resulted in an inevitable return to a scorched drawing board. The last stinker, of course, ending with literal scorched earth, following one of the most incredible examples from the times of a downward spiral. That will do it. The tale of Thomas G. Doty, who literally blew it. Incredibly, this was a dark topic that I had to scrounge around for information on. The first terrorist attack involving an airplane on U.S. soil, foreign or domestic. And unless I missed it, all that I could locate was a 10-page pamphlet, basically. And some old news articles. Um, A movie called Airport, which was way off. A couple 10-minute YouTube videos. This episode was a perfect example of what I hope to cover at this time around with Dark Topic. Lesser known, lots of mystery, intrigue, simple yet sophisticated, or something. Shout out to Shore, who has been helping me with this so far. He's doing well. Just so you know, if you remember Shore, if you were around way back when. To support the show, come on over to Patreon where you'll get early ad free episodes of all of our shows. Currently, we have early 911 calls, podcast episodes, ad free updates, after shows. Visit patreon.com slash topic pod for extra content and to help support uh, 1159 media shows. That's the name of our thing 1159 media, last minute media. Because I do everything, we do everything in the last minute. Which for now, the shows underneath 1159 media are Dark Topic and 911 Calls with the Operator, but two more shows are in the works and you'll hear them first on Patreon as they develop. Patreon.com slash Dark Topic pod. Okay. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week. Until then, I can be found over on 911 Calls with the Operator podcast a little more frequently. It's a scary world out there right now. I know. I'm glad we have our little spot here again to huddle and mutter about something horrible. Something that's at least over with. Nothing like a plane crash story to make you appreciate being grounded. Until next time, keep those eyes cacked. Those da 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 do, da doors locked. And stay paranoid. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Every plan, doty hatched, resulted in an, inevit- Could- <laughs> in an inevitable fuck, man. inevitable, inevitable, in an inevitable. Why do you do that to yourself? In an inevitable, in an inevitable. Every plan, doty hatched, resulted in an inevitable oh,